I'm on now. I'm on. I'm, I was getting to it. I was getting to it. A few minutes, we'll take an offering, okay? Um, somebody said we're thinking about putting uh, these on video. So I'm trying to get used to, like, being a television preacher. I want the band, you know, behind me and the choir, you know. That's always fun when you're watching a TV preacher, right? Because you see someone up in the choir picking their nose or something like that, right? I mean, it's like, do these guys know they're on national television? I mean, what's the matter with people? Anyway, it's kind of fun, right? Well, good morning, saints. Oh, okay. Well, we had a little bit of a rough start there. I weren't sure there were any, any, anybody singing for a while. Um, did you uh, not know, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice, right? To God be the glory. Does everybody know that one? Well, this is the Tommy Walker version. It's hard for me to listen to it without hearing Tommy Walker going, woo, in the middle of it over and over. It's a great song, really, and souped it up, but we're not quite used to it yet, right? We'll, we'll work on that. Okay. So what I want to do this morning, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And Mike is on his game today. I'm a little off, so I'm going to ask that you join me in prayer, and we're going to look at some scripture together. And I've got a mini-sermon to start, and if you're really good kids, I might go further. We'll, we'll see. Okay? God, thank you for your wonderful love for us. Um, if we're able to love you at all, which we are, uh, we love you because you first loved us. You rescued us. You made it possible for we who are broken in our spirit, broken in terms of sin, and we're broken in almost every way in this planet in which we live, and the planet we're looking at is manifesting its brokenness more and more daily. Thank you that you determined to enter into our situation and turn it around. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but you are always in the business of redemption and restoration and I love that, that uh, description that C.S. Lewis gives in the Chronicles of Narnia, that from the time of the resurrection of our master Jesus, death started working backwards. And thank you that one day, death will be completely swallowed up in victory. And boy, will that be good news. So, Lord, today we ask that our minds might be illumined. I ask that uh, my quite humble offering would be pleasing to you, and rather uh, than just our duty that, Lord, our Holy Spirit insights might help us and move us forward. Well, thank you, God, for helping us. Thank you for the gathering of your people. Thank you for the freedom that we have. Thank you, God, for everyone in this room that has been rescued by your grace. It's amazing, because left to ourselves, we were without hope in the world. So we praise you and thank you in simple faith. We ask for your Holy Spirit's help now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. So let me see if I can make my things click for next screen. Bam. Yay. Choose election. I don't know if I'll get to that, depending on how much fun we have on our first part. But there's a bunch of questions that came in. I, I've unleashed a monster, if you will. Uh, it's like at the end, all the questions started coming in, so I can't. I guess I'll just do Q&A until Christmas. How's that? <laughs> no, I'll have to try to tuck them in. Here's some of the issues that came up. What, how does a person walk in the spirit? What does that mean? Do you have to speak in tongues, for example? I'm not answering that right now. Um, what do I do with my anger? No, I'm not asking you to tell me what to do with my anger. I'm asking... The person says, what do I do with my anger? How do I forgive? And more importantly, what about restoration? There's a big difference between forgiveness and trust. Did you know that? So we're going to have to talk about that. It's a pretty nitty-gritty one. You know why? Because everyone in this room deals with it or doesn't deal with it. Let me put it that way. And so today, I'm trying to touch on a subject that has been a it's kind of a source of tension for me, a source of distress a little bit. So I'll try to get to that in just a minute. What I want to do for starters is launch off of what we were talking about last week, if I could. And if you remember, we were talking about eternal rewards. Does anybody remember that? Anybody remember a week ago? It's hard, I know. 
But we were talking about the fact that when we get to heaven, we get rewards, but it's not just about having a trophy, right? So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Life here is good. Is it, well, not always. For some of us today, life isn't so good. Some bad things have happened in our world. But generally, we choose to live and we want to continue to live. Even when we're faced with death, we want to beat it, right? We want to beat death. We want to stay alive because we enjoy life. There's something about life and the way we're wired that we want to be in it. Mankind was made to live. Saints and sinners are alive, first humanly alive, physically alive. But God planned a glorious existence. We were never to be brought to an end. And so we were talking about our estate in heaven last week, just a little bit. And I, here's the cartoon I wanted to show you and didn't make it into my screens. Gary Larson. I wish I'd brought a magazine. Because we've gotten these crazy ideas that we're going to sit around playing harps. That would be bad because I don't play. It would sound awful. What a cacophony up in heaven, right? People playing harps that never learn how to play. Oh, but I'll instantly know how to play when I get to heaven. How do you know? I bet you there's classes on harps. But anyway, up in heaven. I wish I brought a magazine. That is not what it's going to be like, right? That's not what it's going to be like. Rather, we're going to be assessed and we're going to be assigned our reward, both trophy-wise, if that's even literal, but definitely in terms of serving. So we just went through the Olympics, right? Anybody know who that guy is, the Jamaican who won? Very interesting. Bolt, that's him. He, uh, he had just won the 200 meter there, I think, where he's kissing his gold medal. Oh, gold medal. Wow. And as I mentioned last week, the hang somewhere. Kind of an interesting verse follows this. Let me just show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I mentioned it last week, just the second half today of the verse. Verse 25. 24 and 25 went together. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Really? They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. They're getting a physical reward, a gold, gold you can kiss and hang on the wall. And uh, we are aiming for something better than just a little trophy. Something that's going to affect my destiny. In other words, what I'm going to be doing, not playing a harp. I mean, maybe I'm going to play a harp, I don't know. But there's going to be more to it than that. And we want to find the implications in Scripture of what that might look like, maybe just a little bit. So, by the way, can I just park on this little phrase here? Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. In other words, they discipline themselves, right? Getting ready for that run, they're self-disciplined. I just showed you this guy's... Let me back up for this. This guy, fascinating uh, study in self-control or not. For example, I found out my wife read somewhere... He absolutely refuses to go above the speed limit. He won't drive above the speed limit. Now, that's self-control. I don't have that. I mean, anyway, that's self-control. <laughs> Be quiet. Anyway. <laughs> On the other hand, he was photographed in bed with a college student, so there were some areas he didn't have self-control. Brothers and sisters, the self-control we're called to is higher than what the world dishes out, right? I mean, we can have this wonderful exercise of self-control. A little sidebar here. When Paul is preaching in Acts 24 before powers like Felix, it says in the scripture that while he was preaching about... Let me read it to you. Don't, you know, it's not going to be on the screen. Let me just read it to you. Felix hears him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and changed the subject. I don't want to talk about that right now. Paul, you're making me nervous. And you should be nervous. Isn't that interesting? When Paul is preaching the gospel, he's not saying, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? Would you like to pray this prayer here? No. He's discussing righteousness by God's standard, Self-control. Anybody know what that is? 
Now, that's a trick question. I'm saying in our culture, we have taught our kids, for example, that you're a barnyard animal. You can't possibly deny yourself any appetite and immediate gratification. The opposite is true. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. There will be an assessment. So, proof that we're prepping for the next life in what God has in store for us in terms of serving, not just getting a medal, but in getting an assignment, I think is reflected even in the person of our master Jesus himself. Let me show you a scripture that we actually looked at a few months back because we went through the book of Philippians. And it says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with what? The body of his glory. So our body, our humblest... By the way, brethren, I don't care how magnificent you are. Like Maybe you're lucky to be as buff as me. That's a little joke. Very little joke. Even if I'm you know, really satisfied with what I have, and maybe we're not so satisfied... Whatever condition that's in, it's the humble state that we're living in here. It's going to be conformed to his body, his glorious body. By the exertion of the power that God has to subject all things to himself. You know, I was thinking about it while we were worshiping. Are you guys okay up there? you comfy? Huh? I'm, I'm almost done. I'm ca- Keep doing me. Okay. Into conformity with his glorious body. What does that look like? Well, let's think about it for just a minute. I'm going to just put that off for a second. The body of his glory, his resurrection body, is exactly what our destiny is. What was he able to do? Anybody done any studying? The reason I'm, I'm, I'm parking on this for just a minute, some questions came in. For example, and maybe you've wondered about some of this. My, I have a relative who said to me, who's a believer too, and I, did, I couldn't believe that they didn't know the answer to this. Are we going to recognize one another when we get to heaven? Absolutely. You want a little, little flavor of that? Jesus is on the high mountain with James, John, Peter. Remember the in crowd? They're up there. All of us, it was, and all of a sudden they're surrounded by this glorious white cloud, and it says Jesus is seen by his disciples talking to who? How, the, how did they know that they have little signs of Moses and Elijah? They were wearing their Moses and Elijah outfits. I mean, they knew. I don't know how, but they knew who they were. We're real people, you know, we're not little wisp spirits floating around out there like at the end of Ghost, you know, the little angels come down and all the friends are up there, these glowing things. I'm going to know who they are, they're going to know me. We're going to know as we have been known by God. That's what Corinthians tells us. Yes, we're going to recognize one another. Yes, I'm going to recognize Jesus. Yes, there's some saints up there I want to talk to. I can't wait to find out how it really was. Noah, tell me how that really was. I saw the Russell Crowe version. I don't think that was accurate. (laughs) Tell me how it really was. Noah's going to tell me. And do you ever think, you know what? I've got a book here called Hereafter. Let me read a couple of things to you because this is a great little text. If we were back in the days of the Puritans, this would be selling like hotcakes. But people today, we, even Christians, don't ponder heaven enough, myself included. Many people have said to me that they would sooner be annihilated at the time of their death than spend eternity playing harps. There is something decidedly unattractive to human beings about the idea of anything going on forever and ever. I'd be bored stiff, people say. After a few thousand years, you've done it all. And then there'd be endless time to come. They make heaven sound like a wet weekend in Peoria, Illinois. (laughs) I love that line. And I have nothing against Peoria. It is not unreasonable of people to ask what Christians believe about heaven. But with the best... 
will in the world, it is not possible to find precise, clear, factual answers. The reasons for this should be fairly obvious. How could you explain to a primitive tribesman what life in a modern city is like, let alone the basic principles of television or jet travel? Think about pictures on a cell phone at a primitive tribe. Have you ever seen any mission films like that? They're like, wow, magic demons. They don't know what to do with it. It's totally other, right? It's totally other. Yet both of us live in the same earth environment, breathe the same air, and are subject to the same physical laws, but heaven, whatever it is, must be fundamentally different. One more thing about it being different. This is what you've got to get. We don't get it. I have to remind myself every time. I wish I was living in the woods, sawing logs, burning a wood stove, enjoying that smell out in the country, nobody bothering me. I'm thinking, oh, heaven's coming. Let me explain what I mean. Let us stress again the most important fact involved here, that the spiritual body and the spiritual life are better, more glorious, more real than their physical predecessors. You think this is real? You ain't seen nothing yet. That's the point. Once we really begin to think in these terms, our whole attitude toward death will be transformed. And it is an unwelcome enemy. We don't look forward to it. But the fact is God has something better in store for us. Think about what Jesus' resurrection body could do. Somebody asked, Um, What age will we be? I think whichever one glorifies God the most. But let me give you a little bit of insight here. Like babies who die, what age will they be? Well, I don't think they'll be infants. I think they're going to be the completed person they were destined to be. But think about this. See, we think so. We got to think more Star Trek-y. You know what I mean? More, more. Jesus. Jesus was walking along with his disciples one day. Anybody remember this story? This is after the resurrection. They're walking along. You say, oh, man, we don't know what happened here. And he starts talking to them about the scripture. And they're like, really? You haven't heard what's happened in town lately? You haven't heard what happened to Jesus? Anybody remember that? They... They don't even see him. And then they're having dinner together. He prays, breaks the bread, and they go, ah! They realize it was him. Somehow there's some kind of morphability we don't have. His body was prepared for not only this world, but the next world. Your body will also then be prepared for this world and the next world, which means there's some ability to change and do things. I can probably... Be the old John Hawko, the young handsome John. Well, and that never happened. But the, uh, the, the, the young hippie Charles Manson, the one that I told you about, I could probably look. Hey, who are you? Did we ever meet? Yeah, do you remember me like this? Are you getting the idea? Awesome. Isn't that awesome? Boy, you Christians just don't have enough fun. I'm telling you. But God wants you to in the right ways. He does. We'll be able to recognize each other. We'll be able to morph. We'll be able to show what, we, what would be ideal. We're going to work. What did Jesus do with his resurrection body? There were times he walked through walls and showed up with the disciples. That well, How'd you get here? Come on, get with it. Don't you read your Bible? That's what Jesus probably said. That, that part didn't get in the Bible, but it's there. Anyway, so he was able to do that. At the same time, he meets his disciples by the lake He breaks up some wood, he starts a fire, he catches fish. I don't know how he did it. He might have gone, and they came right to his hand. Or maybe he used, I don't know. But he starts a fire, and he cooks breakfast for his disciples, and what else? He eats it. Even though the body is eternal, it will not be destroyed, it's indestructible, it still can function. Don't ask me all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I haven't been there yet. But one day, we will be able to do things like Jesus because we're going to have a body made like his glorious body. Is anybody excited about that? 
But if he is able to build a fire and able to fish and able to eat, don't you think that there are things to be done in eternity? In other words, I'm going to be getting my work assignments in glory. Okay, so I just threw out a big one. Any questions on that? It had to provoke some questions. Ma'am. Yes. Who wants to go today? Okay. <laughs> Trick question, right? Yeah. But really, in some ways, those of us who struggle with physical issues, etc., there are days you go, boy, right? Anybody ever been through that kind of a season? Maybe pain or extreme depression or difficulty or whatever it might be, and you go, boy, I could, I could go for the, the ride home right now. I could, I could stand to see the chariots of Israel and the horsemen of heaven showing up right now. And I think it's true. So, any other question? Then we're going to stop. Wrong way. Right. Now, can I comment on that very briefly? There's a lot to say about that, that escape mode. Um, but... Because of some doctrine in, in churches in the past, people have thought that somebody who does that, if they were a Christian, has lost their salvation, which would not be accurate. Okay? Which brings me to my second part of my sermon, which is only two hours long. So I'm done with this. Any other questions on this? Because then we're going to cut and move on. What about those who are cremated? They're quite dead, I think, yes. <laughs> What's the question? Sorry. Yeah, people worry about, oh, is that a sin? Uh, probably because in the Old Testament, these are good questions. Probably because in the Old Testament, there was an event that happened where uh, pagan kings would defile people's graves by burning their bones. That was an act of sacrilege on purpose. It had nothing to do with whether those people are in heaven or hell or anything like that, okay? It's a separate subject. Think about this. It doesn't take too much to, to figure out that what happens to the body one way or the other, whether it's put in the grave or whether it's cremated or whether it was eaten by lions in the arena in Rome, however it went down, that body is going to decay and become dust. But God's word says that he takes somehow a seed, which, by the way, we know more now about DNA, but something out of that, he rebuilds the model again. Anybody saw Jurassic Park? You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Only far more infinite than that, right? Oh, we got a little dinosaur, DNA, DNA, Mr. DNA. Okay, I'll stop. Sorry. You guys got me all riled up. I was in a bad mood, but I'm happy now. But anyway, I'm kidding. No more questions? We're going to let the worship team come up. We're going to worship after, uh, we're going to receive an offering for our brothers and sisters and friends who are outside of Christ down in um, Louisiana. Uh, we were motivated last week. We felt like, you know what, if we can make a contribution to this, that'd be good. And so I hope you've had some time to think about what you want to give and prepare. So this offering, all cash, uh, uh, checks to Harmony Baptist Church, just mark flood on it. Okay, but this whole offering will be sent down to Louisiana. There's a Southern Baptist Church there that's got hands-on activity going on. And we will uh, serve the needs of our friends down in Louisiana. Okay? So can you let me pray? And we'll ask the ushers to come. And let's do again what happened in the, in the last offering. We'll, you guys will start singing and then have them join you. As the offering plate passes you, join in. Okay? So let's pray together. Thank you, King Jesus, for your great love for us and the eternal destiny where we don't have to worry about being defeated by floods, earthquakes, suicide, or any other evil. In that world to come, we will be the victors and we will reign with you and we will be busy and delighted with our productivity serving you in glory. One of the ways we can serve you is helping those who are in distress, and it is a good thing for Christians to show love 
to both saints and sinners in times like this in Louisiana. So, Lord, we want to pray over this money. We know it's only a small portion, whatever we collect, compared to what others have been giving uh, all over the country right now. But nevertheless, you take note of every sacrificial gift. Bless it and use it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lane, we're going to sing Revelation song again, just so you know. We're just going to do the first verse, and we'll sing the chorus together a couple of times. So as the play comes by, you stand with us. mildly tormenting you that I'm going to preach for an hour, because I'm not. Actually, I'm going to make it quite brief. Uh, You have a bulletin with uh, fill-ins, and the first part's already done, Heavenly Destiny. The second one, which is why I said choose election, is to answer a great question that came in. And I think uh, I could probably go like every week, five questions, what about this, yes, no. What about this, yes, no, What? get them all done, right? But that might be... Not good. I don't know. But this one is a very good question that was sent in to me, and I want to read it to you. This is not a theological question. Why do we do the following must be infuriating to the new Christian. In one sermon we say, all you need to do to get saved is say yes to the atoning sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. When they respond to the invitation, they're prompted to pray to God to receive salvation. Wouldn't you agree with that? That makes sense. Then in another sermon we say, that's like me say, nowhere in the Bible does it say you are saved by praying a prayer of salvation. Seen this and heard this innumerable times, why the mixed message? It's like we use a simple to get them in, and then we hit them with doubt like a Mack truck. If I was a new Christian, I'd be baffled by this. So, some of us are baffled. Okay, so you're shaking the head. Great question. And uh, he thinks that, uh, that my brother uh, who, who asked this uh, said, if I was a new Christian, I'd be baffled by this or uh, infuriated. And I, I, I told him I was going to say, not as infuriating as your question, but not really. I think it's a great question. Here's why. And um, I don't want to rush too much, but I'm also not going to drag this out. I simply want to say that one of the reasons that um, that happens, maybe the easiest way to answer it would be to say, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior in the last two years, I'm not talking to you. 
Because you're going to struggle. You're going to have, you know, I'm trying to beat sin. I'm trying to wrestle through things like that. And so as a brand new Christian, sometimes we do go back over it in our heads and all that. No, what I'm worried about and why I say that thing at times about praying a prayer for salvation is people who have been in the fold for years and years and years and are not experiencing any genuine change. I'm just as crotchety, self-centered, bigoted, superior, go down the list, greedy, lustful, as I was when I prayed that prayer 12 years ago. If that's true, I'm challenging you. You need to be rethinking whether that was for real or not. Actually, I just answered it. We can go home now. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you, Bill. Insurance or assurance, exactly, right. I used to say some of us carry uh, our gospel around like a credit card, a spare credit card that you pull out when you need it, you know. I got it. Yeah, well, what effect does it have in your life? Well, day by day, I never use it. I never use it. I only use it in emergency when I have to pull that out to say that I'm okay. So what I'd like to do is just take a couple of minutes to look at some things. First, let me begin with this. Is it simple to accept Christ? Absolutely. One of the simplest illustrations, I'm going to use probably one of the best-known memory verses about the gospel anybody in the room's ever heard. Anybody ever heard of first, what? That's what you're going to say. You two win the door prize. There are little gold medals that hang on the wall. Don't do you any good, but <laughs> a little joke. Let me start with giving you background. Numbers chapter 21. The children of Israel have wandered in the desert. Anybody remember that they were extremely grateful, wonderful people, right? They're wandering in the desert. Once again, this is multiple times this has happened. Why did you bring us here? Why did you bring it? You brought us here. There's no water. There's no food. You want us to die. Why didn't you leave us back in Egypt? It was better there. And God said, I am just about at my wits end, which God never is, really. I'm going to send some fiery serpents. Now, by the way, those aren't mythological creatures. What that is a description of is poisonous snakes. So some people start getting bit. Oh, you know, it's amazing how bright they were. Immediately, they go, oh, I've sinned. I've sinned. Uh, Please forgive us. God says, okay, here's how we're going to do it this time because God doesn't waste anything. He says, this time I'm going to give you a method of healing. I'm going to rescue you in a way that's going to be a visual, an illustration, a type of my son coming into the world so that nobody can miss it. Take a brass snake, make a brass snake, put it up on a pole, and anybody in the village, anybody in the community that gets bit by a fiery serpent, all they have to do is get out of there. Oh, I've been bit, I've been bit. They have to come out of their tent, look at that thing up on the pole by the tabernacle, and they'll be healed. You didn't know that story's in there? That's a great story. Well, yes, it's true. I only preach the truth, brother. (laughs) Oh, I already did questions. Skip that. As Moses, this is Jesus speaking in John chapter 3. As Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And and so, is that clear? Simple. What did they have to do? Get off your, wherever you're sitting, get up. Look. Look at what I told you to look at and instantly. Why? Because if I believe what God said, I believe that if I look at that, what will happen? How complex is this, Carl? Sorry, I don't know if there's a Carl here. That was, that was an old... Never mind. That'll be a sidebar. I'll stay away from it. Another time, my wife's shaking her head. Don't do that. Don't do that. As Moses lifted up... Look, it's as simple as this. How easy is it to become a Christian? It is easy. If I believe what God did in the cross that Jesus died for my sins, that he rose again, that he gives us eternal life when we believe in him. Just like looking at that serpent, I'm healed. 
Same thing is true. That's how I get born again. But did you notice the implication in there? What do I have to do? I have to obey what God said. Some numbskull, and it might have happened, said, oh, I got bit by that snake. I know that there's that snake up on the thing, and I'm supposed to look at that. I believe that. Sure, that's good enough. I believe it. He dies. Because true belief must follow with action. So Jesus even says it. God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who doesn't believe has been what? You see, you're already in a bad condition because we're separated from a holy God. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And by the way, at the end of the chapter, it goes on to say, he that believes in the Son has life. He who does not obey the Son, the language shifts. He who does not obey. Oh, you mean obedience saves us? No, just obedience to believe. If you really believe, you look. That's how a person becomes a Christian. Does that make sense? Clear enough. So there's obedience involved because I'm born from above. I want to respond. The big debate, and we don't have time today. Well, then, isn't the gospel actually dangerous? Of course it is. If you say to people, yes, you get saved by grace. Nothing else that you're going to do is going to rescue you or secure your eternity. Oh, good, I don't have to do anything else. Here's the deal. If that's really your spirit, maybe you're not born again because the spirit of Jesus comes into me. The spirit of the Son of God wants to obey the Father. So that kind of a thing goes back to the credit card thing. I got the credit card rather than genuine faith. So that's why the scripture is so clear. Let me just show you some verses, if I may. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and choosing. His calling and choosing you. King James Version, brethren, make your calling and election sure. That's why the front page says, choose election. Oh, well, if I'm elect, I have no power over it. Oh, yeah. You got to look. Right? It's lifted up. I got to look. I got to believe. That's how I choose election. Make your calling and election sure. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in that way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Make your calling and election sure. No way we have time to dialogue about, well, on what's the basis that God elects us. The point is, the scripture says he chose us from the foundation of the world. There's something eternal that's been going on. If you're one of his saints and you know that you've had that experience of new birth, you should be filled with gratitude that God set his affection on you before you ever existed. You know that's biblical? Deep stuff. Very hard to figure. And no one has solved the answer to the question, although some are right, like me. But what happens is, and why we get confused, well, are you one of those people that believes once saved, always saved? Ooh, everybody's listening now, right? Whoa. No, I don't believe that. No, let me tell you why, what, what I mean by that. The doctrine was based on salvation by faith through grace, right? By grace through faith, that your eternity is secured. And the language of the New Testament is pretty precise that it is. Jesus' language, the ones the Father gives me, I have in my hand. I'm inside the Father's hand. No one can pluck them out of my hand. All of that is biblically true. Here's where the problem 90% of the time comes. I know somebody who prayed a prayer in church, and he's living like Satan, and he's perfectly happy as can be. Are you telling me? No, I'm not telling you. Because what the scripture teaches is the perseverance of the saints. That's a good old reformed comment. The perseverance of the saints. The true saints persevere. They keep pushing on. Well, what does it mean for these other people? Whoa. Well, that brings up a big question. I would love to park on that a long time, but I don't want to today. But the fact is that there is such a thing if we belong to Jesus as the ministry of the Spirit to convict us and to move us back to holiness. And if we don't, he starts turning the heat of discipline up more and more, just like you've had to do with your kids. I hope you did with your kids or you raised monsters otherwise. Anybody know what I mean? 
Oh, oh, you're not listening there. Okay. I had, I had a friend that ran uh, Youth for Christ. He used to say to his son when he copped attitude, he said, okay, cord of wood. And he had to do the wood for the fireplace. And Well, Dad, I don't think that... that oh, two, two cords of wood. You know. Well, I don't... Three cords of wood. And he wouldn't back off. Dude. Anyway. Now we're victims of overparenting. But anyway... Let me read something. Theodore Epp. Uh, in fact, let me show you a scripture, if I could. Anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give him life to those who commit sin not leading to death. It's praying for your brother. There is a sin leading to death. I don't say you should make requests for this. In other words, it may be too late. You know, people used to worry about stuff like that. All unrighteousness is sin. There's a sin not leading unto death. I've been through uh, commentaries on this. People are divided. It's not a super clear passage. What on earth is he talking about? Is it eternal death? Is it physical death? Anybody ever heard of Back to the Bible? Yeah, old school brother. Theodore H. Epp. Here's a book that I don't think made a lot of sales. Present labor and future rewards. Can you imagine? But here was an interesting comment in this. I really kind of appreciated coming across it. There are other occasions when God must take an even more severe step and bring physical death. What does the Bible say? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines every son and daughter that comes to him because he loves us. I love my children, and so I discipline them. I didn't want them doing wrong. I had to teach them to do right. And when they did right, I could praise them. But when they did wrong, mm, same thing with us. If there's really a living God, which most often it looks like we don't think that he's really a living God. That, oh, gee, could, could this be God trying to speak to me? You know, I made this wrong turn and something's really turned south and life is not going so. Could it possibly be God? I think we erased that off our radar years ago. That's a mistake. There are other occasions when God must take an even more severe step and bring physical death because some child of his has been stubbornly rebellious. This kind of sin, uh, this, uh, a sin of this kind is called a sin unto death according to 1 John 5, 16. So here, back to the Bible, got it right, in my opinion. I could be wrong about it. And, I, and even if so, on this verse, there are others that say it much more clearly. 1 Corinthians is very clear that the saints who were abusing the Lord's table, disregarding God and their fellow brothers and sisters, Paul says, some of you are sick and many of you sleep. He doesn't mean they're sleeping in church. We got a lot of that. He's talking about dying. I'm going to say one thing, and I've unfortunately, in my tenure of 40 years, I've seen it more than I want to. But there's a strange, where's the word I wrote? A sick comfort in discipline. When I've seen God, and I know this person knew Jesus and was struggling and could not, and just refused and just kept butting up against the grace of God, and, the, and one day, bam, they're gone. If I didn't see any discipline in, my, in that person's life, I would wonder. Do they really belong to him? Why would he let one of his children be the worst brat in the neighborhood? But when I see the pressure on them and the misery, if they're happy as a clam, if they're miserable and they know it, praise God. I'm so glad. Maybe there's hope that you really belong to Jesus. That's why you're so miserable. Keep it up. God may make you happy in an instant by taking you to glory where he shall wipe away all tears. There's a reason that verse is in the Bible. God shall wipe away all tears. It's kind of a sick comfort in discipline. But the scripture encourages us to make our calling and election sure. I told a little joke to some friends this week that there was a southern black pastor who was asked about, how do you know if you're elected or not? He says, well, here's how I see it. First, God casts his vote. Then the devil casts his vote. And then you decides the election. 
So make your calling and election sure. Don't have time to unpack Pharaoh's hard heart and all of that another time because God is always just and he's good. Trust me. If you read it carefully, Pharaoh hardened his heart first. Then God said, okay, you want to be that way? I'll help you out. That's what happened. So we come full circle back to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourselves. Anybody remember this one? Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? My burden, brothers and sisters, let me just be candid. Somebody brought some statistics to us from like uh, Barna, somebody like that, that as many as possible, what was it, 80? 80 percent of people sitting in churches are lost. Did you hear what I said? Sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Having your membership, being I was baptized, I prayed a prayer, I was baptized, became a member of a Baptist church, a sister church to this one in New York City. I was as dead as a doornail. I was not born again. Doesn't make you a Christian. No offense, Larry. Then sitting in McDonald's makes you a hamburger. (laughs) Zing. Anyway. You get what I'm saying. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Now, it's 20 after. I don't want to make people slaves of uh, time and all of that. And people say, oh, keep preaching. Other people say, when is he going to shut up? But um, I'll take two questions. Better be good. What's the test? Oh, that's the word from last week, judging. Judge yourself. Do an assessment. Do your own assessment. I already mentioned some of what you should do. Have I become softer? Have I become more Christ-like? In what ways... Let me, let me see what you just did. <laughs> Richard Owen Roberts, book, booklet on backsliding, a little revival take. Let me just read something real quick. Evidences of a backslidden condition. Prayer ceases to be vital to a professing Christian life. The quest for biblical truth ceases and one grows content with the knowledge you already have. I'm fine. I got my, my card. I'm on my way. Biblical knowledge possessed or being acquired is treated as an external fact and not inwardly applied. Earnest thoughts about eternal things cease to be regular and gripping. Who cares? Makes no difference in my life. A lot of Christians like that. Okay, so I may be backslidden, but I should also be asking myself, am I really in? Did did I really do business with God? You can I can't answer that. And if you're having trouble answering it, ask God to help you. You know, there's a living God who actually listens. Like, where is he? He's here. Bill, you better make it good because I get... No, that's that's not fair. No. Yeah, you already asked too many. That's right. Is there power working in my life? One last question, we're done. Somebody who? Oh, Please. Well, we can't hear you. Oh, you know what? I was told about that. I, my bad. We should have microphones. A few days ago, I was just feeling really down. And um, I said to the Lord, um, I was just feeling lonely and, you know, down and not much sort of Christian-wise was happening. And so I, I prayed, and I said to the Lord, Lord, you've, you've done this before. Um, you know, you've proved yourself in the past. Could you just do it for me again? Because I just really need reassurance that you hear me and, and that you're, you're on my case. And I said, do you remember when Derek went to Bible college and you provided for us? Because we've, we've been hit by Brexit, and, you know, we're losing income because of the exchange rate. I said... You know, it would be really nice if you did what you did back then. You know, could you just provide a little gift, um, you know, for us, just to underline that you, you know, you love me and that you care for me. And um, didn't think anything more about it, didn't say anything to, you know, Derek. And the very next day, I mean, this is unbelievable. I, I I just worship him. The very next day, I came home and Derek said, 
There's a piece of post there um, from Horizon, you know, Horizon Medical, and whenever you get a, one from them, it's always a bill, isn't it? So I had, I had a heart sink. He said, could you open it? You know, I want to know what it is. And I opened it, and I laughed. It was a check for over $800 from something like in February. You know, I had no idea that was coming. I still don't know what it was for, whatever. And I just, in my heart, I said, Oh, Lord, thank you so much, you know, because that was just like, you know, that verse, before you call, I will answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't know I was going to pray that prayer, and I didn't know that check was on its way. But I just said, thank you, Lord, that you heard me. You knew I was in distress, and you just sent that little token as a, a blessing to me so that I would know that you still hear and answer prayer. And so don't ever think that asking God for money is a bad thing because, you know, <laughs> he, he did it for me. You know, what, <laughs> God bless so, you. So, you know, and, and that actually encouraged and helped my faith because I was thinking, oh, I pray for people, nothing happens, you know. But that has now encouraged me to persevere because if God can hear that prayer, he can help me when I pray for other people, you know, like Connie and whoever. Sorry to pick on you, Connie. Um, you know, I know that God is listening. Um, he may not, you know, come up with it the very next day, but he is listening and he will answer. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So now some of us are saying, it's too bad that sister is so spiritually weak. How many of you are saying, that's me? All right. Tithe to your favorite pastor, by the way. Anyway, I'm, total joke. Please, let's stand together and be dismissed. That was actually the best closing illustration I could have had. Thank you. You've proven again, God, through our sister. And, Lord, you're doing it in many of us. You are the living God. Living you didn't wind us up like the Diaz thought, put us on a shelf and walked away. You're active. Your word is living and active. And Lord Jesus, thank you for hearing prayers. Thank you for being involved and wanting to be involved. Help us to welcome you in way beyond what we have so far. Well, thank you, God, for what you're doing. Put your favor on your people. Put your blessing, angels, protection, all of that I never take for granted. Be with your children in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you and have a great week.